A few uh, Sundays ago, we uh, voted on a new mission statement for our church. You find it in your bulletin, proclaiming Jesus that all may follow him. And the basis for that is found in Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. So please turn there, Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. And we read in Jesus' name. Paul says, We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to His power, which mightily works within me. Let's pray. Father, thank You. For your word now, and as we open this passage of Scripture, we pray that you might send your Spirit who works through your word to teach us, to challenge us, Lord, to draw us to yourself, to empower us, O God, to proclaim that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, that Jesus is the only way whereby we may be saved that He is the one who gave His life on that cross for the forgiveness of our sins. For we pray in His name. Amen. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says, For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. There was a lady who loved this verse. This was her favorite verse of Scripture. But as she got older and her memory started to fade, she lost a little bit of that verse every few years. Until finally, the only word that she remembered from this verse was him. And so on her deathbed, there she was, repeating the word him, him, him. And her family knew exactly what she was talking about. She was talking about Jesus. She was talking about that verse that had meant so much to her all her life. She knew in whom she had believed. That was Jesus. It's all about him, isn't it? As we think of a mission statement, what what ought our mission statement to be about? Not about us, but about Him. Proclaiming Him. It's interesting, this uh, text in verse 28 is translated in most of our Bibles like we proclaim Him, but actually in the Greek text, guess what's the first word? Him. For emphasis. Him we proclaim. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture, that's the thing we want to keep in mind, that we proclaim Jesus. We proclaim Him. We don't proclaim us. We don't proclaim Grace Free Lutheran Church. We proclaim Jesus. Because that's what it's, it's all about, right? So, what does it mean to proclaim Jesus, I would suggest to you there are not just three things. I know you'll be disappointed. Three points are maybe four this morning, but all four will be a little bit shorter than the three. So don't worry. Notice, first of all, we proclaim Jesus publicly. 
If you look at the, how the word proclaim is used in the New Testament, the focus of this word is on a public proclamation. It carries the idea of announcing or telling or reporting something. I found the, the dictionary dif- uh, difference definition of this word to be very interesting. It says to declare something one considers important with due emphasis. I like that. To declare something one considers important with due emphasis. So think about it. Since the good news of Jesus is a matter of great importance, it should never be kept a secret. It should be proclaimed to others with due emphasis that they too may experience the hope that Jesus brings. Paul makes this clear in the verses prior to our text. In verse 27, he reminds us that God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So both Jew and Gentile, both rich and poor, both male and female, both young and old, and whatever classifications you can come up with, they all need to be told about Jesus. Now, if you think that this is just the work of the preacher, I've got some news for you. Because Paul does not say, I proclaim Him. What does he say? He says, we proclaim Him. That sounds to me like it's a team effort, right? Not just the pastor on Sunday morning preaches his sermon about Jesus and everybody walks out and says, yeah, thank you, that was great, have a good week, and then come back Sunday and we hear it again, right? No, we proclaim Jesus. Now, some plant the seed to use a farming picture, right? Some water the seed, some harvest the seed, And what's wonderful about that is God is involved in that process too. We not only work together, we not only work as a team as believers in Jesus, but we are on the same team as God because He is involved in that process. Think of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul says, What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? The servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. Think of that. When we are involved in planting and watering and harvesting, we are laborers together with God, and He is the one that is causing the growth. So this is a team effort. You and me and Jesus. You and me and God as we plant and as we water the seed. So Paul is reminding us that that it usually takes many people to bring someone to Jesus. Have you thought about that? That it involves many people. How many times has someone planted a seed or watered the seed? Uh, Over and over. And, And it usually takes many exposures to the gospel to bring someone to Jesus. How many times did it take for you to finally come to Jesus? How many times did you actually hear the gospel before you surrendered your life to the Lord? I would bet you many times. Many times. Many people. And that's part of the reason why Paul uses the present tense here when he talks about proclaiming Jesus. We could translate the phrase, we proclaim Him as, 
We are proclaiming Him because it is written in the present tense implying what? This is an ongoing activity, right? Ongoing. You look at the Apostle Paul, he clearly understood this. You read the book of Acts, he was proclaiming Jesus everywhere. In the temple, right? In the synagogue, in the marketplace, in the jail, right? Wherever he was, he was proclaiming Jesus. He was the one that would say, that told Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. In other words, every opportunity you get. And so he knew what he, knew what he was talking about. And that's the challenge that he gives to us. To be proclaiming Jesus, publicly telling, unashamedly taking a stand for Jesus and His Word. And there's many ways you can do that. Just one way is, is what you wear. Any of you wear t-shirts that point to the cross, point to Jesus? Ever, any of you wear those? Huh? It's interesting to see some of the comments you get, right? I was wearing... Um, one of the fly t-shirts from a few years back that, that said broken on it. And then it had three crosses. And I went to the bank and I could see they're kind of looking at it. I said, well, you like my t-shirt? Well, yeah. You know, well, what's, what's broken? I said, I'm broken. But Jesus was broken for me. He died for me. Same day I was out on the way to, I think it was Coles or something, walking in the parking lot, and a couple of Christians noticed that, and boy, they said, praise God for that. Well, you can encourage the believer, you can cause the unbeliever to, hmm, yeah, just hear a little, a little seed planted, right? This is an ongoing thing. Unashamedly, publicly telling, proclaiming Jesus. That's our mission. And may God do something through us, even this week, huh? Using those opportunities that the Lord gives. So we proclaim Jesus publicly. Secondly, we proclaim Jesus prudently. I had to start with a P for all four of these. But you can say wisely. Proclaim Jesus wisely if you like that better. Look at verse 28. Paul says that we are to proclaim Jesus admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, wisely. You know what? Sometimes we aren't very wise in our proclamation of the gospel. Have you ever noticed that? I remember a true story about a man who went to visit Another man in the hospital who had just had a heart attack. Now, what do you say to a man who just had a heart attack? Well, here's what this man said to the one who had a heart attack. He said, you know, we've had five people in our church the last few years who have had heart attacks and they all died. The guy's sitting there, you know, he's got oxygen mask and, you know, and... Didn't, didn't any of them make it? No, they all died, you know, and he started naming them off, you know. Well, would you call that proclaiming Jesus wisely? Well, there was a nurse that was watching what was going on, and they put a note on the door that said, if this guy came back, don't let him in the room. So he calls his pastor and said, I'm being persecuted for my faith. 
He said, what do you mean? He said, they won't let me in the hospital room to visit so-and-so. Well, the pastor found out what was going on there and what he had done. I wasn't proclaiming Jesus wisely. And sometimes maybe we're not so, so wise in our proclamation. What does it mean to proclaim Jesus wisely? Well, Paul says admonishing and teaching. So it's like kind of two sides of a coin. The word admonishing addresses our need to be warned or our need to be corrected. And everybody loves to be corrected, right? But we all love to be corrected, admonished. We're just waiting. Good morning. Oh, I hope someone corrects me today. Well, that's probably not, not the case. But the kind of correction that Paul is describing here isn't harsh. It's not heavy-handed. It's a correction that is given in love for the good of the one who needs that. And if you see how Paul uses that word elsewhere, you can see that how clear that is. Acts 20, verse 31, Paul says, Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish, there's the word, each one with Tears. What does that say about admonishment? Is that getting out your baseball bat and start beating people? That came from a tender heart. A heart of love and concern for the people there in Ephesus that he's addressing. So it wasn't this, you know, uh, beating people, but it was an admonishment with, with a tender heart, with tears. Second Thessalonians 3.15 Paul did not regard him as an enemy but admonish him as a brother. How do you deal with a brother? Right? In love. So if we're going to be wise in proclaiming God's word, we must admonish one another in love. I love the picture that Paul gives in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. The word restore is, is quite interesting. It was used to describe the setting of a broken bone. Any of you had a broken bone that had to be set? Huh? The doctor just say, here, let me see that. You know, what do they do? Very gently seeking to, to put it in place. There was an older lady I visited one time, and she told me about breaking a bone. And, and she said, oh, that doctor was very, very rough, she said. I said, what did you do? She said, I used my cheerleader's voice. <laughs> she went, oh, she said. <laughs> he knew she was, she was not being very gentle. Well, you don't do that when... You're setting a broken bone, and you don't do that when you are admonishing or correcting or warning. You do it with gentleness. You do it with love. And that's part of proclaiming with wisdom. Then you have teaching, and that would be the other side of the coin. Admonishing would be the, the negative side, if we want to call it that, correction that is needed. Teaching is the positive side, the instruction that is needed. So while it's important to admonish that that's all we do, both are needed, aren't they? Warren Wiersbe says this. He says, how far would we get in our travels if highway signs told us where the roads were not going? Think of that. 
How far would you get if all the signs told you where you're not going? He says, not very far. And then he says, it is good to win a man to Christ and then to warn him about the dangers ahead. But it is also important to teach that convert the basic truths of the Christian life. So we need balance here, right? There needs to be admonishment, but there needs to be teaching. There needs to be correction, but there needs to be that positive instruction. Both of them are important. And that's proclaiming Jesus prudently or or, or wisely. Thirdly, Paul says, we proclaim Jesus purposefully. So what is our purpose in proclaiming Jesus? Is our purpose fulfilled when someone is saved? Are we done then if someone comes to Jesus and we just check off the list? Well, that person knows the Lord. Let's just move on to someone else. Is that what we do? When your children were born, you say, Oh, I did my job, brought them into the world. No, certainly not. We want people to be saved, but we shouldn't be satisfied with that because Scripture makes it clear that our purpose is much broader than that, isn't it? Think of Paul's missionary journeys. How many missionary journeys did he go on? Three, right? The first journey was primarily evangelistic, right? Proclaiming the gospel and and people were saved. The second and third missionary journeys were basically discipleship journeys. Going back and seeking to encourage those who had come to Jesus. Acts 15, verse 36. Here's his second journey. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. <laughs> Here are these new believers. He wasn't going to leave them on their own. He said, let's go back. We need to go back and see how they're doing. We need to go back and encourage them. His third journey, Acts 18, verse 23, and having spent some time there, he left and passed successively through the Galatian region and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. We see that in the text here, don't we? Verse 28, what is the purpose? We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that, that's purpose, right? So that we may present every man complete in Christ. So when someone comes to Jesus, that's not the end of our responsibility. That's really the beginning, isn't it? Because there's a new spiritual life. There, there's a babe in Christ. And that person needs to be taught and trained and discipled and loved and encouraged. That's our purpose. Colossians 4.12, Paul describes Epaphras who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. Mature, complete. So as wonderful as it is that someone is saved, that's just the beginning. Those who are born again need to grow, and we need to help every one of them. Notice the emphasis on every here. He admonishes every man 
and teaches every man so that every man may be complete in Christ. Paul didn't want anyone to remain a spiritual infant. They needed to grow. And that's what we need as a church. We don't want people just to come to Jesus. We want them to mature. We want them to grow. Established in the Word of God. Reproducing themselves in the lives of others. Bringing others to Jesus. That's the whole process. And notice how committed Paul was to this mission. Verse 29, he says, For this purpose also I labor striving according to His power which mightily works within me. The word labor means to toil to the point of exhaustion. That's how committed Paul was. And the word is used, Peter uses this word in Luke chapter 5, verse 5, to describe how they had labored all night fishing and caught nothing. Remember that? Jesus said, throw out the nets again. He said, oh Lord... He says, we have toiled, we have labored all night and caught nothing, but if you say so, I guess we will. He was tired. That's the word used here. There's labor involved, there's work involved, isn't there? And then the word striving is an an athletic term. It was a favorite of the Apostle Paul, used it in many places. It's the Greek word agonizomai, and that, don't let that bother you, but the, word, the, the, the agon was the stadium. So Paul is picturing someone involved in the stadium, maybe running a race, or maybe wrestling his opponent. And that word, agon, is the word from which we get our English word agony. Ever watch someone run a marathon? Any of you ever run a marathon? Huh? Okay, Sarah, Jim, you run a marathon? Are you the only one in the building that... You're the only real athlete among us. Phil, yes, okay. It's not like a sprint to the fridge, is it? Running a marathon can be agonizing. I remember watching one on TV where a guy was literally falling down, crawling. He'd get back up, throw up, drink some water, crawl, and he, he was, that guy was in agony. He was just really, really hurting. Paul says, That's, I'm, I'm striving. I'm laboring. This isn't easy. It isn't easy. When you're trying to, to, to help someone grow in their faith, um, it's not always an easy thing. There are times of, of discouragement along the way. But they, he, he continued on proclaiming Jesus purposefully. We end on a very positive note. We proclaim Jesus powerfully. And here it balances this thought of laboring and striving as if, oh no, you know, this is just going to be horrible. It's going to be awful. I'm just, oh, I'm tired. What does he say? For this purpose also I labor, striving according to what? His power, which mightily works within me. So laboring, yes. Striving, yes. In our own strength, no. Because if it's in our own strength, what will happen? We will throw in the towel, right? We will give up and quit. We will say, this is too hard. Laboring and striving according to His power, which works mightily 
within me. I love the word works here. It's, it speaks of, of the energizing power of God. Energeo. Uh, we get our English word energize from this. So God is the one who energizes us. He is the one who enables us to strive in the work that he has called us to do. And when I think of energizer, I think of the energizer bunny, huh? What's the ad? Just keeps going and going and going and going. I think of my dad when I think of the energizer bunny. He just kept going and going and going and going until he couldn't go anymore, until the Lord took him home. The energizer. God is the energizer. He is the one that works in us, who enables us to continue on. And I believe that God's energy is enough, right? Do you think He's strong enough to energize us to keep going? Huh? Where does that strength come from? The working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, Ephesians 1 says. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God, which performs its work. Same Word. Energizing in you who believe. So if you're wondering, does God have enough power to give you the energy to labor and strive on? The answer is absolutely yes. His mighty power which works in me. Aren't you thankful for that? That whatever He calls you to do, He will equip you. He will give you the strength to do it. His energizing power. Amy Butcher Pye, writing in Our Daily Bread, said, One day by the seaside, I was delighted to watch these uh, kite surfers as they bounced along the water, moving by the force of of the wind. When one of them came to shore, she said, I asked him if the experience was as difficult as it looked. And he said, no. It's actually easier than regular surfing because you harness the power of the wind. Right? So we harness the power of the Spirit of God. Right? We harness the power of God Himself as we labor in His Vineyard, As we strive, as we give of ourselves for that purpose of not just bringing someone to Jesus, but helping them to mature and grow and be complete in Christ. That's our mission. Proclaiming Jesus that all may follow Him. May that be the... Everything we do related to that in some way, that we are in some way proclaiming Jesus that everyone, that all may follow Him, become His disciples. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word today. Thank You for Jesus. Uh, We proclaim Him. I pray, Lord, that that would be true in our lives, uh, not just as we come on Sunday, but as we live our lives daily. Give us those opportunities, Lord, to be proclaiming that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Lord, energize us. Uh, Give us what we need uh, to be uh, committed to the work of Your great kingdom. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.